official podcast of Church at the Well in Burlington, Vermont. For more information about Church at the Well, including gathering time and location, events, and how you can financially support the podcast, please visit us online at wellchurchvt.com. Great. So we're in a series called World of Wonder, and we're looking at nature metaphors in Scripture. And we're looking specifically at these metaphors, and we're asking what these metaphors might teach us about who God is, about humanity, about ourselves, and about the life of faith. And so last week, Abby looked at a metaphor, a tree tree planted by streams of water taken from the Psalms. It was a great sermon. It's on our podcast, so I would encourage you to listen to that. And I just thought that video was a great reintroduction to our series, kind of showing the beauty of God's creation, uh, the beauty of who God is reflected in nature. Just a great uh, kind of poetic song sermon as well. This morning, we're going to be exploring the metaphor of water. Uh, We're going to be looking specifically at a couple uh, contrasting metaphors concerning water throughout Scripture. But I chose this not because it was like a thousand degrees all this past week and all we needed was water, right? Y'all stay hydrated this week. Any of you get to go swimming at all this week? Few of you? Okay, a few of you got to go swimming this week. And uh, so, yes, we needed water this week. Water was on the mind. But also, I grew up in Hawaii, so I'm like an islander. I love the water. Uh, Not only was where I grew up and where I was born literally in the middle of the ocean, the middle of the Pacific Ocean, but there's also an abundance of fresh water as well. I went to college in the Pacific Northwest, and everyone was complaining always about how rainy Portland and Seattle were. And I remember one like thinking to myself, it doesn't seem that rainy here. And so I kind of looked up stats of where I grew up. I grew up in Hilo, Hawaii, the big island. And it's actually the rainiest city in the U.S. Hilo, Hawaii gets 200 to 300 inches annually. To to, uh, contrast that with the rainy Northwest, Portland and Seattle get anywhere between like 25 to 30 inches annually. Um, And so we would, uh, you know, it was not unusual to get the annual rainfall of Portland uh, in a day or two of kind of a tropical torrential downpour. So water is something that you grow up appreciating, loving, uh, respecting. And so this is a a metaphor that I wanted to explore a little bit more. I also think that in Vermont, we understand and value water as well. We have beautiful Lake Champlain right at at the doorstep here of Church at the Well. We also have so many other beautiful lakes, rivers. How many of you... If you have a favorite like river spot, can you just shout it out here in Vermont? Winooski River, the Green River, the Brewster River. That's a beautiful river. Warren Falls. Oh, you know. You know. Bristol. Someone say Bristol. Anyone say yes? So we have this like abundance of beauty uh, in, the, in our rivers here in Vermont. And you know that. Uh, the city of Burlington is not making mistakes and jumping, dumping a bunch of sewage into those rivers. You know, they're clean, so they're good to swim in. So uh, I wanted to explore this metaphor of water a little bit more. Um, water is an important metaphor in the Bible. We did a series maybe a couple years ago on this idea of meta narratives. Essentially, a meta narrative is like 
what are, there's, there are different narr- individual narratives throughout the Bible. And it's composed of many different books, many different narratives, many different stories. But there are these big stories, stories like redemption and salvation and restoration and reconciliation and exodus um, all throughout Scripture. And so we did this series, meta-narratives, the, kind of the big stories. And water is actually kind of like a meta-narrative metaphor if you're hanging with me a little bit, and that it's a really important metaphor kind of woven through the fabric of Scripture. And so we're going to look at that a little bit more deeply. And we're going to be looking at two contrasting metaphors. And so you can think about these and keep these descriptions with you as we explore them a little bit more deeply. But we're going to be talking about the chaotic waters that we see in Scripture. And then we're also going to be looking at the river of Eden or the river of life. And so these are two metaphors that come out throughout Scripture, and they actually communicate something really interesting about the larger biblical narrative of restoration, salvation, redemption. So we're going to be looking at that. Chaotic waters, we're going to see that they come to represent death and danger, and we're going to see that the river of Eden or the river of life is actually a metaphor for safety, life, shalom, the peace of God. And so these metaphors are important to us as we look at them because they actually relate and correlate to the state of our souls, the state of our souls as individuals, Uh, the state of our, another word you could put that as they're important because they relate to the state of our being, who we are and and how we function in this world. And they're also important because not only do they speak to the state of our souls, but they speak to the larger kind of state of humanity, um, the world and creation as well. And so We're going to explore um, and look at these metaphors and how they relate to our souls, humanity in general, and we're going to kind of look at them through Scripture, but it's also important to see how they're introduced in Scripture. So we're going to spend a brief amount of time looking at where they're introduced, then how they're developed by the authors of Scripture, and then we're going to kind of conclude this morning with asking that question of how do these metaphors engage my soul and the way that I find my being in this world. So, we're introduced to the idea of waters in the very beginning of the biblical narrative, which is, can anyone tell me what? The beginning of the biblical narrative. Genesis, yes, it means beginning. And so, right right in the beginning, in Genesis chapter 1, we're introduced to this image, this idea of the waters. It says that the earth was formless and void. Uh, another way that you could define that, those terms, formless and void, is wild and waste. It's the Hebrew words tovu fa bohu. Look to your neighbor and say tovu ba bohu. <laughs> if that doesn't bring you great joy to say, I think you're still waking up this morning, right? Tohu va bohu, wild and waste. And it says that this wild and waste, this formless and void earth, that the Spirit of God hovers over the abyss, the chaotic waters of the abyss. And so this is the first time we're introduced to this idea of waters in Scripture. And it's, it's the tohu va bohu, wild and waste abyss. And the Spirit, as the process of creation begins, hovers over the chaotic waters, and it's kind of describing an uncreated state. So this is the first image, chaotic waters, and we see a few verses later that, amen, 
he was listening to me in the beginning, right? Amen. He says, that's good. Preach, preacher. So the first image we see is these chaotic waters, and we find a few verses later that the, the author, this uh, creation poem that we find in Genesis 1 and 2, the author of this poem, he actually goes on to describe these chaotic waters as an obstacle in God's creation that needs to be separated in order for dry land to emerge. Now, it's not an obstacle in the sense that like God really had to struggle with, but it's an obstacle in that God is just properly ordering. And so that this whole first chapter of Genesis in this creation poems is God properly ordering creation. What, is, what do things properly ordered look like? God's shalom, God's peace, and God's good creation. There's evening and there's morning, and he declared it good. And so the first thing we see about these waters is that they're chaotic waters, but that there's some sort of ordering of them that needs to take place. Now, we're introduced to the image of water again on the second page of the Bible, and it looks a little bit different. And so this is Genesis 2, verse 5 through 10, we're going to read. Let's find the second page of the Bible. So, Verse 5, now no shrub of the field was yet in the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprouted, for the Lord God had not sent rain upon the earth, and there was no man to cultivate the ground. And so this is a parallel um, to the poem that we find in Genesis 1. is another poem here in Genesis 2 recording the creation account. And so we see ordering in Genesis 1. And we're, we see in Genesis 2 a parallel passage, but it's actually the, the poet, the author, is using kind of gardening language. And so we're introduced to a similar uh, scenario. It's not, it's not uh, tohu va bohu, but it is a barren desert. It's a, a, not a garden. It's, there's no farmland. It's dry. It's barren. There's no one to cultivate the land that is there. And that brings us to verse 6. But a mist was used to rise from the earth and water the whole surface of the ground. The Hebrew word for mist there is aid, A-D, if you were to translate that in, or transliterate that into English. Then the Lord God formed man, Adam, out of the dust from the ground, Adamah, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being the Lord God planted a garden toward the east in Eden, and there he placed the man whom he had formed. Out of the garden, the Lord God caused to grow every tree that is pleasing to the sight. So apparently this God that we're introduced in Genesis to uh, aesthetic uh, brilliance is important to this God. Pleasing, so not only were these trees good for food, but they were pleasing to... The sight. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and from there it divided and became four rivers. And so, Judy, you can put it on the last, go back one slide there, and we're going to talk about these few verses for a little bit longer. So in the second part, we're introduced again to this image of water, and we're going to look at the primary image, the river of Eden, in just a moment. But first, I'd like to focus on an important element of the poet's description here in Genesis 2, um, because we could miss this very easily. And in the first chapter, we talked about this 
focus on the organizing of creation. Second chapter, uh, the image of water is contrasted with the creation of humanity in a really interesting way. And so there's this garden sort of language. But in verse 6, it says, God sent a mist, it's the Hebrew word aid, to rise out of the surface of the earth. Other translations just put it as like a spring or a flow. It's the only time this word is used in all of the Hebrew Bible. So all of a sudden, that's saying something to us. It's like, pay attention. And we're also going to see why. So it's the Hebrew word aid. And then it comes out of the ground, this aid, this water, this spring, this flow. Uh, the NASB, for some reason, translates it as mist. Um, comes, it's, think of it maybe as a subterranean spring. Um, and it comes out of the earth. And then we see uh, that this is the only time this word is used. The author, go to the next verse. Then the Lord God formed man. It's the Hebrew word. Uh, uh, not on the slides, uh, just the next verse in the text. Um, the Lord God formed man. It's the Hebrew word Adama. It starts with the same two letters. And he's out of the dust of the earth. So he forms Adam, man, out of the dust of the earth, the Adama. And so something about the water, the, create, the water coming out of the earth is connected to the man coming out of the earth as well. Do we see this parallel here in the text? See that what the author is trying to do in this poem here is trying to get us to make the connection. Side note that I think is pretty interesting, the human body is made of like 70% water, about. And also... Uh, read an interesting fact this week that uh, the average salinity of Earth's oceans, the amount of salt in the Earth's oceans, average amount is 3.4%. The amount of salt in the human bloodstream is exactly 3.4%. So kind of a fascinating thing. And so we, we are somehow, there's a connection there between human life and water in this poetic imagery. The author's trying to get us to think about this metaphor of the water coming out of the earth in relation to human life itself. Let's move on to verse 10. Now a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and from there it divided and became four rivers. And so this is the other large merited large metaphor of water that we're going to see throughout scriptures, this river of Eden or river of life. And what we see in Genesis is that river provides an environment for the flourishing of the garden. But it's also a metaphor. It's also symbolic for human flourishing, human flourishing. Um, symbolic, what we see is that this flourishing this river that provides flourishing for the garden, symbolic of human life flourishing, this garden state. Also, garden would be a great metaphor to explore. How many of you think? So we have a few weeks left in this series, so maybe Adam or Abby will get to that. But so the river provides this environment for flourishing, and it's also symbolic of the shalom, the peace of God, everything ordered properly here in Genesis Humans in right relationship with God, humans in right relationship with each other, and humans in right relationship with the earth. And so this is what the 
river of Eden, river of life, comes to be symbolic of. Another interesting thing is we see that as the river leaves Eden, it does what? It divides, it divides. And so we have a little bit of a, it's looking forward to the later narrative in Genesis that when humanity's relationship with God is fractured, that then they begin to become fractured amongst themselves and the nations have enmity with each other and people have enmity with each other and the world becomes divided and broken. And so we have the river of Eden and then as it leaves Eden, we see that it divides, it mirrors the larger narrative of the human story uh, mapped out in Genesis. So we spent some time in Genesis, and that's because how we see and how we're introduced to these ideas of the chaotic waters and how we're introduced to this idea of the river of life, um, they're constantly brought up in Scripture, and the authors of Scripture actually go back to these creation narratives when they refer to these images or these metaphors. And these metaphors have power. This is why we are doing a whole series on these nature metaphors to draw us deeper into a truth about who God is, about who we are, and about how we live in this world. Um, but sometimes and often biblical metaphors require us to do a little bit of that work, right, in order to go a little bit more deeply into it. So chaotic waters, death, danger, river of life, or river of Eden, life, safety, shalom. And we're going to look briefly at how some of the authors develop these two metaphors a little bit more, and then we're going to conclude asking how these metaphors might engage our soul or our being. In Exodus 15, Pharaoh and his army are made equivalent to the chaotic waters. It says this, In the greatness of your excellence, you overthrew those who rise up against you. You send forth your burning anger, and it consumes them of, as chaff. So enemies, we see, as the Israelites, Pharaoh and his armies, are leaving Egypt, Exodus, uh, into the wilderness and eventually the promised land. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters were piled up. And so we see God's enemies and the water, the chaotic waters kind of being uh, mirroring each other here in Exodus 15. You see the same thing in Psalm 18, again in Isaiah 17 of other places. So those are just, I'm going to give those to you if you want to look those up. Psalm 18, Isaiah 17, you can look at how those passages actually make that correlation as well. And I'm going to uh, turn to Isaiah 2 as we look at Another way that the river of Eden or the river of life is depicted by a later author in Scripture. And so this is Isaiah chapter 2, starting in verse 2. And this is one of my favorite passages in Scripture. It's a beautiful image. Now it come about that in the last days, the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains and will be raised above the hills, and all the nations will stream to it. Pause there real quick. And all the nations will stream to it. In the Hebrew, it's actually the word, it says, and all the nations will river to it. So there's a mountain, and the nations are 
rivering to the house of the Lord at the top of this mountain. So there's a few peculiar things going on. One, the Hebrews use the word river as a verb, which is interesting. Maybe we should adopt that. Maybe Abby can do that in a poem someday. So the nations river to it, but this river is also going up a mountain. It's kind of an impossibility. Peculiar. Many nations will come and say, come let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us concerning his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For the law will go forth from Zion, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, and he will judge between the nations, and will render decisions for many people, and they will hammer their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation, and never again will they learn war." It's a beautiful image, right? It's a beautiful, peculiar image. Again, we also see at the end of that image, right? Gardening language. You guys catch that? Swords into plowshares, spears into pruning hooks. There is a return. There is a restoration in God's plan of redemption, restoration, establishing his shalom on on earth. He's a plan to restore it all. And it involves a river returning, going up the mountains. Fascinating to me. Now, these images and metaphors are interesting, but the goal of this series and the goal of this sermon isn't to be interesting. The goal of this series is to draw us into the beauty of God and his creativity reflected in creation to remind us that God is revealed in the beauty of creation. And it's also to remind us that we're called to be stewards of that creation as well. It's one of our values here at Church of the Well, reintroducing Jesus in Vermont through creativity. That means not only reflecting on and honoring God's creativity and creativity in the form of the arts, but also in participating with God and caring for his creation. Uh, but, but also, these metaphors are meant to call us deeper into the love and the life of God. And so I want to conclude this morning by asking, how does this metaf- these metaphors, chaotic waters, river of Eden, call us deeper into the reality of God's life, God's love? How does this metaphor call us into the richness of redemption, restoration, reconciliation, what God is up to in the world. And uh, last couple verses as we conclude this morning. This is uh, Jesus actually provides us with a description of how these metaphors engage our soul and can call us deeper. And it's actually an important passage to us here at Church at the Well where Jesus uh, engages with a Samaritan woman at a well. And they have a really interesting conversation. We're going to read part of that this morning in verse 7. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore, the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink since I am a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you 
living water. She said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? You're not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle? Jesus answered and said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. Fascinating. We could do a whole series on that passage. I actually think we have done a whole series on that passage in the past. But in Jesus, we have access to a water that quenches our thirst. In Jesus, we have access to water that quenches the thirst of our soul. How, how many of you have ever felt like you have been a bit dry? Maybe dry spiritually, dry in your soul? I have. I, in fact, I've had time in the past month, in the past week, where I have felt dryness in my soul, where I have felt called to the well to drink of this, this water that Jesus promises when you ask. When you ask, I will give you this water that quenches your thirst. But it's interesting also, Jesus uses this sort of creation language uh, when he's referring to this, this water that's welling up. In fact, I'd say Jesus is using new creation language. It's water that quenches and then also becomes a well that springs up to eternal life. And so I have a couple questions, uh, simple questions as we conclude this morning. If you were to think of the state of your soul, remember water is an image, right, of human life, would you see chaotic water or river of life, river of Eden? What would you see? Uh, a couple weeks ago, we had some family visiting town, and I was very stressed about this trip. And there was actually an occasion a week before where I was very stressed about a particular situation in my life. And they were both good situations. There was nothing particularly bad about them, but I had a lot of anxiety about them. How many of you can relate to that? Can relate to that. And this had gone on for a few days. And I eventually thought to myself, hey, should pray. All of you are like, yes, Ian, you're a pastor. You should, of course, pray. But for some reason, I, that was not my first inclination. My first inclination was just to sit with that anxiety and experience it for some reason. It was a terrible experience. And uh, sometimes engaging, when we can ask this question, what is the state of your soul? If, it, if you think of it as water, is it chaotic waters, a river of life? Um, sometimes it's just looking at that and bringing that to God and saying, God, here is my chaotic waters. And I prayed, and they were not extraordinary prayers. They were just really basic, simple prayers where I brought my chaotic waters to God, and I just felt God bring peace to my spirit and almost sensed from the Spirit of God speaking to my soul. Why didn't you ask sooner? Why didn't you ask for this water that quenches your thirst sooner and then wells up within you to be a spring of eternal life? And so... Um, for me, that's a really simple way of engaging this metaphor this morning. How many of you have some things in your life, some chaotic waters you could bring to God in prayer and just say, hey God, 
these are my chaotic waters. That's an easy homework task in engaging this metaphor and engaging our soul this week. God, these are my chaotic waters. Do what you will with them. Also, interesting thing is in Genesis, God doesn't battle or really struggle with the chaotic waters. They're just kind of there and they're properly ordered. We see Jesus on the boat when everyone is freaking out. Jesus is asleep. The text even says he's asleep on a pillow, right? And so this type of God, this this, uh, presence of God, Jesus was so secure in that even in the midst of his chaotic waters, he could find peace, that river of life for his soul. So, uh, second question. If you were to think about the actions of your life, so we have prayer, right, the state of our soul. If you were to think about the actions of your life as water, this just means how you engage the world around you. Um, others, how you re- relate to others, creation itself. Do you see your actions as chaotic waters or a river of life bringing peace, shalom to the world around you, right? This was fascinating about how Jesus asks us to engage this metaphor of water is yes, there is water that quenches the thirst of your soul, but also there's something about this water that should be impacting and affecting the world around you as well. And so this metaphor in itself insists that the world around us matters, insists that others matter, insists that creation matters. And so this means that what we do with our lives, what we do with our actions matters. Confronting injustice matters. Gardening matters. Learning to have patience with others matters. And so if you're to evaluate the actions, and this can sometimes be helpful to think about in a larger sense of your actions and also in individual ways. What actions in my life are chaotic waters or are representing death, despair, maybe danger for others or the world around me? And what actions are representing a river of life? So how we can engage this metaphor is Maybe we can have some more this upcoming week and this upcoming month. River of life living, right? River of life living. Y'all with me? Great. Remember the peculiar image of the river flowing up the mountain? It's a prophetic image, an impossible image of God's plan of restoring, redeeming, and reconciling the world. A beautiful image. A beautiful image. What we see in Jesus in the announcement of the gospel, death and resurrection, resurrection being an impossibility, right? Is a way for the river to stream back to the garden. And this is where the metaphor concludes in Scripture with an image of God's restorative, redemptive plan completed through the person of Jesus. The resurrection is the promise that all will eventually be made right. The impossibility, because we look out in our world and we have a lot of impossibilities. It seems like, how many of you are with me? We have more impossibilities than maybe ever before. So at least the sense 
that I get. I don't know if it's true, but there seems to be a lot of impossibilities in the world. The resurrection is the promise that God will ultimately bring restoration, redemption, reconciliation to our world. And this, the, uh, an impossibility for the river to flow back up the mountain. And this is Revelation 22, the last chapter of the Bible. Um, and it's an image, but it's an, also an invitation into the image. And after I read this passage, we'll conclude in prayer and worship, and we will be dismissed for the day. Revelations 22. Then he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb in the middle of its streets. This is speaking of new creation, heaven on earth. On either side of the river was the tree of life, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations, the nations rivering back, right? There will no longer be any curse, and the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his bondservants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And there will no longer be any night, and they will not have need of the light of a lamp, nor the light of the sun, because the Lord God will illumine them, and they will reign forever and ever. Let's pray. God, we thank you that in Jesus, we have access to a water that quenches our thirst. So we bring our parched souls to you this morning, and we ask for that water. We recognize that you are the giver of life, as we see in Genesis 1, and we ask that you would restore our souls, our dry souls, wherever we need to be restored. And we also ask that out of our lives would be a spring of water that wells up to eternal life, that affects and impacts the world around us. Compel us towards working uh, with you in your restoration, reconciliation, and renewing of this world. May our hands be used to see your goodness restored on this earth. And so help us to find gardens to garden. Help us to engage in justice issues in our communities. Help us to be the hands and feet and river of life in our communities here in Vermont. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. for listening to our podcast. Church at the Well is a community reintroducing Jesus in Vermont through worship, service, creativity, and community.